Hello, and welcome to uh, this episode of Criminal Mischief, the Art and Science of Crime Fiction. I'm your host, D.P. Lyle. Today, I want to touch on some of the common mistakes that writers make when telling their crime stories, or really any fictional story. We've all done it. Uh, those of us who have published a number of novels still do it. We remember back when we were beginning writing and... Um, you made all these stupid mistakes because you didn't know better. You, you learn to avoid these mistakes by reading a lot. I think that is absolutely critical for any writer. You must read. That's how you learn. Medicine is an apprenticeship. You hang out with people who know more than you. You learn from them. You learn their techniques. You learn how they do, do what they do. And, um, you get better at it. Writing is the same way. Your apprenticeship are books. You read books. There are also movies. You can learn a lot from watching movies. Um, you can listen to podcasts, uh, stories on podcasts, whatever. But, but interface with story as much as possible and see how people do it, but particularly written stories, because you see how the author spins out the yarn, how he gives you the information, how he plots the story, the characters he builds, how he does transitions, uh, how he paces the story, what words are used, um, how dialogue is handled. You learn all this stuff by writing, by, by reading. And once you become a writer and you start writing, you won't read the same way you did before. You'll be analyzing everything, and that's a good thing because that's your school. So what are the common mistakes that people make? In no particular order. I'm just going to go through some of them and hopefully offer some insights into how to prevent them. One is overwriting. Too many words. Too much going on. Uh, too much description. Too much dialogue. Too much action. Purple prose, where it's totally over-the-top language and hyperbole and, 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 and where you use your thesaurus way too much and come up with these clever terms uh, that you think are cool, but the reader will roll their eyes at them. Um, less is best. Remember, reading a book is not like watching a movie. Everybody sees the same movie, but everybody reads a different book. Because it is a collaborative process between the writer and the reader. So give the reader room for the imagination to work. Let them envision what things look like, what things smell like, what things feel like. Give them just enough to push them in the direction you want them to go and then get out of the way. And let them build their world and their characters and things on their own. Like I said, everybody reads a different book. Don't get too cute. Don't get too clever. Just tell the story. Watch out for, for, for strained metaphors and similes. You know, you can go online and look at these, and some of them are so ridiculous that you laugh out loud. But we've all done it. We've all made dumb things. And as I said, stay away from purple prose. This is just too much. It's over the top. You read it. You roll your eyes when you read it, too. Again, when you read, you not only see how to do it, but more importantly, I think you see how not to do it. When you read a book and you come across something, you say, oh, man, this is painful. Uh, 
Well, learn from that. Don't do that. Dialogue. Dialogue is tricky. I like dialogue. I think it's what I do best. I think it's what I enjoy best. I like the spoken word as it, as you, as it were. I like the sound of people's voices. I like to hear them talk. I like the, the tone, inflection, and rhythm of speech. Love accents and all of that stuff. One of the big things that's always pointed out are tags. You know, uh, Elmore Leonard always says, you said, that's enough. Don't, don't use anything else. So you know what I'm talking about. Using all these tags, you know, she, she blurted, she, she, she screamed. She, if it works, if it's every now and then, fine. But 95 plus percent of the time, you're going to use said, asked, or replied. That's it. And said is by far going to be the, the, the most used one and should be the most used one. Remember, and you do the same when you read. The, re- the reader just kind of goes right over that. They don't see all those saids in there like they would with another word that was overused, as it were. Uh, it just disappears on the page. It's interesting that when you hear a book read, it stands out more, doesn't it? But not, not, not in the written word. Be careful about making all your characters sound the same. Uh, one great mistake is that, is that authors end up writing and having people talk as, as if it were them. They become each of the characters. Well, that's pretty, mon- that's pretty, pretty mundane because everybody's going to sound the same because you're you. I think this comes from not knowing the characters well yet. And that's why first drafts are written fast and then you go back and rewrite because as the story goes on, as you spend months with these characters, you get to know them better. And so then when you go back and do your first rewrite, you say, oh, she wouldn't have said that. And she wouldn't have said it that way. She would have said this because now you know this character, but you didn't know this character four months ago when you started the story. And now you do. So write fast and then go back and rewrite. Remember, writing is rewriting. But this will really help with dialogue because now you know these characters. You know how they think. You know how they act. You know how they speak. Avoid inane conversations. You know, what do you want to do today? Nothing. Well, me either. I'm not sure. what, But we ought to do something, shouldn't we? Yeah, we probably should. Who cares? Yawn. I'm going to sleep. That doesn't work. And along with that, um, avoid the, as you know, trap, Joe, how long have we known each other? Well, Bill, we've known each other for three years. Yeah. We met each other around the time of yada, yada, yada. The characters already know that. Why would they be talking about it? What you're doing in that circumstance is talking to the reader. Find another way to do it. Find another way to let the reader have that information. If that information is even important, if it's not, it's not. Which comes up to me with probably the greatest difficulty in writing is the order of information. When do you tell the reader what? And this is particularly true in mysteries and crime fiction and thrillers. Because if you let the reader know too much, then you've kind of killed the thrill or you've destroyed the mystery because oh, they figured it out. But if you don't let them know enough, then they get confused. And they're not sure what all is going on. And so you have to spin out the information in an order that keeps suspense, but yet 
doesn't seem unfair at the end. Well, wait a minute. He would have known that back 10 chapters ago. He should have known that. He's a doofus. I don't like him anymore. Uh, The order of information, when you tell the reader what, to me, is the hardest part of storytelling. And it's the part that gets rewritten a lot. Again, first drafts, don't worry about it. Move on. Now, one of the big bugaboos is show versus tell. And I've read, you know, hundreds of, of posts and articles and books and everything on this. And, and they all have a different slant on it. And you can get really confused about re- what, what's showing, what's telling. I mean, I kind of know what it is, but do I really? Uh, first of all, let me say there's a place for both. You don't have to show every step of the story. You can tell some stuff. You can have a paragraph that tells what happened early that day, and now you can drop us into a scene. Now, you don't want to do that on every scene, of course, because that's not good writing. But you do want to, sometimes you have a lot of information to impart, and in order to do it, it might take four chapters, (laughs) three chapters, whatever. It might take two or three scenes to unfold all this information. And is is that step-by-step-by-step really necessary? Can you just impart this information and move on with the story for the sake of timing and speed and and number of words and all of those things and to keep the story moving forward? And the answer is yes, of course you can. So sometimes telling is better than showing. It's hard to define what the difference is because sometimes what looks like telling is really showing and sometimes what looks like showing is really telling. But I think if you want to look at something that divides the two, it's point of view. How deeply are you into the person's point of view? In other words, if you're telling us that Sarah is walking into a room full of people at a cocktail party and she's uncomfortable and you're telling us she feels anxiety and because she doesn't know anyone there and she doesn't feel comfortable in her shoes, they're hurting her feet and, and, and yet it's important for her to be there to do something and, and, and you're telling us all this, that's one thing. But if you drop down into her point of view, and you, and you let us experience that her shoes are too tight, that she doesn't like the dress she's wearing, and oh my God, she should have, she should have worn a different lipstick, and she doesn't know anybody here, and why is she here in the first place, and all the anxiety that's building up inside of her. Now you're showing us because we are inside Sarah. We are with Sarah every step of the way. We're feeling what she's feeling. We're seeing what she's seeing. We're tasting and smelling and experiencing everything that she is experiencing rather than standing back and telling us how she feels. So showing and telling, it's a fine line. They both have their place. But if you have a choice, always opt for showing, always opt to drop into a deeper point of view. You can always fix that later. Description. I find things that sometimes people just over-describe. Someone walks into a room and there's an entire paragraph of everything about that room. Is that necessary? Is it necessary? Wouldn't you just want to, again, this being a collaborative process, just give the reader enough to get a feel for the place and let them fill in the blanks? Unless it's important that certain things in that area, in that room, in that park, in that location are important. They're going to be important to the story, either to orient what's going to happen or that something's going to happen that impacts those things. Then that's a different story. Then you have to 
to, to give those descriptions. But in general, less is best. Not too much, not too little, just right, as the three bears said, or as Goldilocks said. I always tell people, if you want to learn how to do this, go into 10 places you've never been in before. I don't care if it's a restaurant, a bar, a service station, a Costco. I don't care what it is. You've never been to one before. Walk in there. And what are the first three things that hit you? Are they sounds? Are they smells? Are there visuals? What is it? What are the first three things that hit you? And write those down. And then what are the next 10 things that hit you about this place? Well, if you write a scene that takes place there, those are the things you want to dwell on. What are the sensations? What are the things? If you say someone walks into a bar to the smell of beer, the clacking of pool balls, and the groaning of a uh, jukebox in the corner, do you really need to tell us anything else? Let us decide what it looks like. Let us decide what all the details are. Let us decide if there's, you know, beer signs on the wall and et cetera, unless it's important. If there is a detail that's important, then add it. But remember, less is best. So scenes. A lot of people have trouble with scenes because they want to set them up, and then they want to get out of them in such a way that they're complete. Remember, scenes are incomplete. Scenes are steps on the pathway of the story. So come in late and leave early. You've heard in meteores, which means in the middle of things, and that's a good idea. Start in the middle of the story, the middle of the scene. If there's previous information you need to know, you can drop it in later after you've gotten the scene started. But everyone knows how to park a car, get out of car, walk into a building, open the door, unless something goes on during that time or it's important. There's something internal with the character or there's something between characters that's going on during that transition, fine. Or it's some important description, some important thing about that place. Otherwise, just get in the scene. And you can start it with dialogue. You can start it with action. You can start it with a feeling. You can start it with an internal dialogue of the character. It doesn't matter, but get into the scene. I call this the law and order moment. Dong, dong. Law and order. Watch it. If you haven't, do. They jump from scene to scene so well, and that little tone, dong, dong, means they're moving somewhere else. And they are in the middle of it. They're not getting ready to have the scene, they're in the scene. So watch that and remember that. At the end of the scene, it does not have to be a cliffhanger. Clara Bow does not have to be hanging from a cliff or, 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 or tied to a railroad track. It doesn't have to be that dramatic. It can be, and some of them maybe should be, but not all of them. But it should leave with an unanswered question or an unanswered feeling or a suspense about something. The reader should be saying, hmm, What's going to happen next? That's the key. That's the key. Point of view. Well, point of view is a whole nother discussion, and I've actually blogged on or, or podcasted on this before. But point of view is important, and, and it's the key unless you're doing omniscient point of view, which I don't recommend to, to beginning writers. Uh, stay in one point of view at a time. Don't head hop. Don't jump around, whether it's first person, third person, third person close, third person distance, it doesn't matter. 
Stay in one point of view, and if you need to move into another character's head, either have a page break or start a new chapter. That's basic writing. Otherwise, your editor's going to go crazy, or your agent's going to not buy your book, or the readers aren't going to be happy, etc. Pacing. Pacing is difficult. Again, it's not too fast. It's not too slow. It's just right, the old Goldilocks metaphor. Um, it depends on the type of story you're writing, but if you're writing a thriller, say, the pace is going to be a little quicker. The transitions are going to be quicker, the dong-dong, like I talked about. Then they might be in some other genres. Um, but when you get to the exciting scenes, you want to shorten them. Less is best, once again. You want to get to the you want to get you want to use shorter sentences. You want to use more impactful verbs. You want to use better words. You want everything clean, bang, 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 like a machine gun. And yet, if you're having something that someone is more reflecting about what happened and they're not uh the action has slowed down a little bit, then use longer sentences. Use better words, the words that are more languid, words that are slower. Slow the pace down a little bit. Not too much, but slow it down some. This lets the reader breathe. If you just bang, 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 all from chapter to chapter, from scene to scene, the reader doesn't have time to think. And sometimes you have to put in a slow down scene that allows for a pause and a reflection. Maybe, like I do, throw in some humor. But do something to break up that tension. But that's all in pacing. Backstory. Backstory is difficult. Uh, flashbacks, backstory, all that stuff. When do you add it? Well, I think a general rule of thumb is don't stop the story to give a history. Don't do that. Unless you have to. It's best to add it in small pieces so that the the reader learns about your character as time goes on. Everything's not dumped all at once. If, if she has a problem with her mother, is that important in the opening scene? Not really, but it might be later. And you may allude to it three or four times as you go through the story. You may offer little snippets. So backstory, it's a matter, again, order of information. When do you drop it in and how much do you drop in as a time, at a time? And again, less is always best. Flashbacks are difficult. If you want to learn how to handle them, read Ernest Hemingway's The Snows of Kilimanjaro. The story basically goes back and forth between now and then, now and then. And it's a guy with a gangrenous leg dying on the side of Mount Kilimanjaro. And they're waiting on a plane to come rescue him, a plane that may never come. It probably reflects Hemingway's. He had a couple of plane crashes and damaged himself pretty badly, ruptured spleens and livers and stuff like that and broken bones. And, uh, you know, he probably was that character laying there dying. But the character goes back in time. And remembers things. But his transition, the way he brings you into the back and then brings you from the backstory back to the present is spot on. But then again, he's Hemingway. He was good at everything writing-wise. But read The Snows of Kilimanjaro. It will help you do that. 
I have an upcoming series, the, the Kane Harper series. The first one called Skin in the Game is coming in October from Suspense Publishing. Bobby Kane is a knife expert and basically a fixer uh, who is not afraid to do what's necessary, including taking someone out. But his backstory is that he and his sister Harper were raised basically by a gypsy-like family. They weren't true gypsies, but they were a gypsy-like family in the South. Bobby had been abandoned as a child, at just, just, just weeks or months old, and he had been picked up at a bus station in Houston, Texas by this family and had been raised by, quote, aunts and uncles. And he had been trained in knives and throwing knives and using knives and in, and in robbing and in climbing and getting into second stores and to pulling off scams and to doing all kinds of stuff because that's what the family did. And it later translated into him having a military career where his special skills were used by the military to take care of business. Throughout this story, I have flashbacks in this first book. And they're flashback to Bobby Kane at age seven, Bobby Kane at age 22. That, and, and it's where he was and what he was doing, but they all relate. Each of these flashbacks relate to what has just happened or is getting ready to happen in the story. So they had to be judiciously placed. And I was very careful to place them in the right spot. At least I hope, I guess we'll find out in October. But the point is, is you can use flashbacks, but they must be relevant. They can't just be imparting general information. There has to be a purpose in the flashback. In other words, does the reader need to know this? And do they need to know this now? And I think that is the key. Again, read The Snows of Kilimanjaro. Finally, and most importantly, remember... The purpose in writing a story is to entertain. Don't ever lose sight of that. It's fiction. It's fun. Even the darkest, most twisted story is to entertain. You want the reader to immerse himself in this story and walk away saying, that was a fun read. I would read this author again. I would recommend this book to someone else. This story will stick with me for a long time. That's the goal. So your goal is to entertain. So I took this time to kind of talk about some of the common writing mistakes that I've seen from other writers over the years. Heck, I've done them myself. We all have. We all have done this. We all still do this. I still, when I finish a first draft and go back and start reading, I think, oh, Lord, this is dull, boring, stupid. Let's fix this. And so, and so, uh, these mistakes happen, but you have to be able to recognize them. And if you recognize them, then you can fix them. So hopefully this will help you do that. So pay attention to this stuff when you're reading, pay attention to this stuff with your writing and your storytelling. will get a whole lot better. I, that's the one thing I can guarantee you. So this has been D.P. Lyle talking about common writing mistakes here on a Criminal Mischief, the art and science of crime fiction on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. So until next time, happy writing. Have a great day.